We're riding on the internet, cyberspace, set free. Hello, virtual reality. Interactive appetite, searching for a website, a window to the world, got to get online. Take a spin, now you're in with the techno set, you're going surfing on the internet. Go online at work or all working at home? Next time you're on the internet, go to the new Netscape.com. Faster searches, instant messaging, a customized start page. The new Netscape. Power and ease of use. It's free at Netscape.com. Today's internet topic. What would you do to change the world? The internet is growing in importance around the world, in people's lives. And I think that it is inevitable that there will need to be some regulation. In 2018, Mark Zuckerberg was called out in front of Congress biggest scandal in social media history. In the 2010s, personal data belonging to millions of Facebook users was collected by a British consulting firm called Cambridge Analytica through an app called Your Digital Life, which was developed by a scientist named Alexander Kogan. This app consisted of questions, taking people's information, personal preference, and being sold to other people for political means and campaigns. This is when we realized social media has no longer been about keeping in touch and connecting the world but rather a tool to turn people into extremists and radicalize the world. My name is Eamon Marouf. In this episode of Conversation Before the World Ends, we're going to be talking about social media. Welcome, everybody. I'm Eamon Marouf here in a conversation before the world ends. And of course, I'm joined with the regular host, Kirim. Hey, guys. Uh, so today is kind of the opposite effect. I've decided on the topic to discuss. And before we get going, uh, Kirim and I just want to give a quick shout out to everyone who's uh, viewed our first two episodes. I think Kirim would like to add some points there. Yeah, guys. So this is the first episode to be recorded after the release of the podcast. And so far from what we've heard, what we've seen. We can't thank you enough for everyone who's listened and shared it and followed us on Apple Podcast or Spotify or Amazon. We've also gotten uh, some reviews. Shout out to our Danish fans out there too. We know that you guys are keeping the fanzines alive. Go Denmark. Yeah, and yeah, that's all I want to say. Um, Thank you. And I hope that we could continue to improve together and expand what we learn together through this process it has been a fun enjoyable process of researching and giving it out and especially hearing feedback from some people that these topics have excited them have interested them and they're willing or they're loving that what we're doing we're making it accessible to learn these things and the through line through it yeah that's all i have to say aim awesome Kareem. yeah man so thank you for everyone who's supported us friends strangers and all around the world it's truly 
A blessing. And, you know, uh, we usually talk about quite historical stuff that spans of hundreds of years. Well, this story does go almost 100 years plus in terms of how social media works. I thought, I mean, first of all, the reason why we got this exposure is because of social media. So I'm going to ask you this quick question, Kareem. What's your views on social media nowadays, general view? I'm kind of on a boat where it's, I get that a lot of people have been complaining about social media, how it gives you a, it's given everyone who doesn't deserve a voice a voice. And also it's given like a fake, almost a hyper reality kind of situation where people are projecting a reality on social media that does not really reflect the reality that we see today. I think that social media has been um, has have had has had had benefits in that now news or biased news has now come to a point where it's not anymore what you watch on TV is what is the type of news you get. There's also there's a bigger chance of being exposed to what actually happened when people are video uh, taking a video of a certain incident and uploading on social media. You don't have to rely on the filtration of a news channel to get what was happening, especially with in light of protests and police brutality or what we're seeing with like the Palestine and Israel situation. So that's my relationship with social media. And like you said, we've been using social media heavily. It's a good way to expose, to use as a way of advertising as well. Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, this isn't necessarily an attack on social media, although I will take it into a spin because we do want to see how it will affect the world in the future. This is more of what caused social media to boom. And I, I will be touching each app that were relevant. I may not cover all the apps or each app in, in detail, especially the older ones. But this is just to kind of take us through where social media has come from and why is it here and how is it so prominent? And of course, the lasting effects that it's going to have. But before we talk about social media, we have to talk about the internet. No, so, no internet, no social media in its current form. And of course, the internet was an idea that came from Tesla, which Tesla's like he wants to think of a world wireless system uh, in the early 1900s. Okay. Yeah, on how the world will be connected through world wireless systems in the future. And that's how it always comes. Someone drops the theory, and he knows the technology can be done, but not now. So what I know from uh, from Tesla or is that he kind of also wanted to create wireless electricity flow, right? Exactly. And so I'm assuming he also wanted to create a, a wireless communication? Flow, exactly. Okay. So that wireless electricity flow was electricity through everything. And I'll touch on why electricity flow in terms of uh, connection is relevant to this too and how, what I mean by that when he means what world wireless it's not just solar and all that there's other aspects to this which I'll get to once we get into social media so that was the kind of uh, notion of it I mean it's almost like James Cameron how James Cameron doesn't make movies until the technology is ready for his movies yeah yeah so I, I find it just a weird analogy but that's how it is of course this was continued on by Paul Outlet a Belgian entrepreneur author Pass, uh, peace activist uh, and all that and Vannevar Bush an American uh, engineer and they also said that they wanted they created a a searchable storage system for books and media in 1930 in the 1930s and 40s so what these guys did is they, they created a just a storage system where you can store books and media through a computer which was of course created during the world wars by Alan Turing for of yeah, uh, yeah, to fight the Germans, but they're like, okay, we can use this to store stuff in it. So that's just a snapshot of the internet's early, early kind of days. The proto internet. The proto internet, exactly. So what happens after that is in the 1960s, uh, MIT uh, JCR Licklitter, 
It's a weird name. I don't want to say Lick Lighter, but I think it's Lick Litter. Uh, he came up with an idea of an intergalactic network of computers. This was after computers became somewhat prominent after the war. After that, he wanted to do a packet switching system, which transmits electronics in a prototype. And that came on later on in the 1960s. So in order for us to have this intergalactic network, we need to do something called a packet switching, uh, which transmits electronic data mm-hmm. uh, within computers. And uh, he called it the Advanced Research Project uh, Nature, which is the ARPANET. ARPANET. Okay. Okay. And the network, sorry, not nature. ARPANET. And through that came the first prototype of what he did is connecting computers together. Rather than one computer, how do we make sure that this computer can communicate to a computer there, computer there, computer there, in a seamless form of electronic data. Mm -hmm. Of course, with that, it continues to evolutionize different theories, different concepts. And in the 1970s, Robert Kahn and Vinton, he developed a transmission control protocol and the internet protocol, which is the TCP and an IP. Okay, okay. So this came in the 1970s, you know, and this was made, someone's like, I want to transmit electronic data. And they have developed the ARPANET communication even better, more seamless through networks. So it was more of a improvement on what Licklitter did in the 60s. <laughs> and they did so in the 70s with multiple networks. So that was kind of the birth of social media in the sense where, in terms of just how the internet, how the internet's technology was made to develop this connection. So that's why I want a quick snapshot on the internet. Of course, we can go days on how the internet was developed on and different processes of what these guys did. But I just wanted to see how each guy came up with a technology on how to transmit electronic data. Because according to Tesla, for the world wireless systems to connect, it has to be through solar, through that. But in terms of for computers, it has to be through electronics. So that's just a snapshot of the internet. Now, social media. The idea of social media, I would say, develops in just one's urge to communicate. So you can go from the, when you first develop language. How can I communicate? I mean, social media's whole essence was let's communicate, communicate, communicate. Mm-hmm. But in order for it to be electronic or in that sense of how we know it now, one has to look at May 24, 1844, when electronic 1844, when electronic dots and dashes tapped out by hand on a telegraph. And the first message was from the Baltimore to DC with the, from Samuel Moore saying, what hath God wrote? That was his first code to DC. So the world's first ever tweet. Exactly. My theory is that Tesla, when he meant a world wireless system, he included the Morse code electronic system because like everything will connect. Even Morse code will be a wireless system that connects. So he had that vision to see Morse code being a form of communication. Yeah, so when him, when he means world wireless system, it's not just electricity for to start up your house for that. But it's also to communicate something as simple as a Morse code to him. But yeah, in my opinion, that is the first social media tweet uh, by mm-hmm. Samuel Morris mm-hmm. in 1844. Now we're going to, during that time, of course, we just... Telephones. And- I mean, we covered telephones, radio, the internet and whatnot. But those were more of broadcasting, saying stuff. It wasn't a, mo- a motor back and forth connecting people to to give them stuff yeah this of course changed in 1987 where things started properly picking up because once the 60s and 70s established the tcp ip the arpanet and all that stuff okay now the technology was set for let us make this communication simple the technology was there to finally support someone sending something across the world and have someone respond across the world instantly through computers rather than sending letters and all that stuff. Okay. 
And that's when the National Science Foundation landed a nationwide digital network called the NSF Net. Mm-hmm. I see a smile on your face. Because I don't know if you remember when we did the Russia episode, we touched upon the yeah, NSF Net. Exactly. So this is why it's all connected somehow, yeah. right? So then the 1987 was the first time that a digital network connected. There was a platform now for people to create something that will digitally connect nationwide in a network through a computer. Okay. Using the IPA model and the TCP model. And this and was that. in the 80s. 87. 87. 10 years later, someone came up and was like, you know what? The first ever social media app came out. So 1997 was the first ever official social media Can app. Can I take a guess? Yes. Was it AOL, uh, AOL Online? No, it was actually a company called SixDegrees.com. Oh, okay. Yeah, SixDegrees.com was created where you could put your profile page. Six Degrees of Separation. Yes. Okay. List of co- contacts and connections send mes- and send messages. It was just like that. You put your contacts in, it was private. You put your contact there and people who have access to you can see your connections and contract and send you messages directly. Mm-hmm. That was all it was. It was a huge hit when it had one million users in 1997. And who created this? Was it a certain company or was it... No, some guy, but then he sold it uh, after that. And that's why the company kind of dissolved. Let me get you that exact info. But yeah, it was sold uh, maybe two years later. Okay. And uh, that's why it never it never came, came to be. But it was launched by someone named Andrew Weinreich, who after that started going to media networks and all that. But he is the one who created it. It was from 1997 to 2000. And yeah, the idea was that six degrees of separation contact and allowed your users to list their friends and family members and acquaintances. And once you invite them to it, those people can communicate with you no matter where they were in the world. Mm -hmm. That was his intentions. And you could send bulletin boards to the people and people will see what you're up to. And and it was a very basic. uh, So it was more instant than the fact of like an like an email where just you and the sender. So this is more of like connecting with your social circle. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Purely for social circle. Not anyone else can see it private. There was no way for anyone else to see your data. Okay. It was his company called Macro View. And that's where uh, it came to be. All right. Following that, uh, someone came up with a. Another concept in 2000, are you are you hot or not? You post your picture and people rate it <laughs> in the year 2000. So that was the next step where a separate thing where someone just went somewhere simple and was like, you know what? You post your pictures, we rate out of 10 if you're hot or not. That sounds like something from an Ivy League school. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, And you, I mean, that's the origins of Facebook, right? He saw that app and he's like... Uh, that's why I'm going to rely too much on the, on the social network. I don't know how factual that movie was, but... According to him, he was inspired from that. Yeah, are you hot or not? Yeah. Exactly. So that was in the year 2000. It boomed as well. It had almost 3 million users. Mm -hmm. But it was so uh, popular but simple that the fad died down. I mean, you... I think everyone can remember internet companies in the late 90s and early 00s till mid 00s died very fast. Yeah. Alta Vista. Yahoo was big. Until Google and all those monopolies. Napster, uh, Napster, surprisingly, was from 99 to 2001. Which was only two years. Which uh, you'd think it lasted longer, but it didn't. Exactly. So uh, these online companies, it's only been three years, two years. And that, at that time, was considered long. Quick buck, turnover, sell. Mm-hmm. This was the idea that people had for it. And it was an... I mean, are you hot or not was a douchey reason to kind of do it. But, I mean, it was a simple... Just concept. concept of let me rate people, the other ones let me update people. But can't you also say then P2P 
are kind of uh, like peer to peer. We're kind of also the proto social media where like you would uh, share music files with other people, like you'd post it online. True, but uh, we'll get to that on how it became a social media thing. Okay. But yeah, if you could download music using a torrent and all that. And, or, then, and then you uploading that music and then someone from like the United States. But there's no direct communication with that person. But I don't know if you remember Kaza. Yeah, yeah. And Bearshare. They yeah. used, there was a chat platform. True, true. Absolutely. But that came on in the middle O's, not That's early true, yeah, O's. Yeah. And I'll explain how that came about with the middle O's. Okay. Uh, after that, we got into in 2002. Someone came up with an improvement on Six Degrees which was Friendster. So what what was Friendster? Friendster was an app and a date site where you put up your profile status, updates, and your mood. Your mood. Your mood. Okay. So on Friendster, you you add people, and it was a kind of a social networking game by a guy named Jonathan Abrams, launched, and then it became a social gaming site uh, in Malaysia, eventually, when it got sold on. (laughs) So yeah, it was uh, weird how it got sold on later on. Yeah, so... What this place did is you could upload your profile status and uh, your, uh, not your pictures, just your profile, your status, your updates, and your mood. And uh, it was more public, unlike Six Degrees. Anyone can view your profile. Okay. So, so it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't. No, it was, you could just post it. Anyone can view it, and they could interact with you from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the service got smoked uh, after a few years. It's overwhelming amount of... People using user, it. And they never recovered from that kind of uh, process as well. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. I for president, I for president, I for president, I for president. You like I, I like I, everybody likes I for president. Hang out the banner and beat the drum. We'll take I to Washington. We don't want John or D or Harry. Let's do that big job right. Just get in step with the guy that's head. Get in step with I. for all good Americans to come to the aid of their country. So after Friendster's uh, servers completely fell apart, what came afterwards was in 2003, MySpace. MySpace was the big one. MySpace was, you could customize your profiles, you can post music, videos, and photos to the public. Mm -hmm. A lot of awkward nudes. And uh, all sorts of ways to keep connected with people. So what it took was beyond Friendster, where it was a public profile, you can literally customize it and share what your music tastes are, what your videos and you're into, and photos, and more than just text. It became so big that it amassed to over 25 million users. And created the emos. And created a lot of emos. So this is where you were saying Kaza and all those guys, they took it from MySpace, because MySpace created that platform where you could start sharing music and then, and then the others incorporated it into their platforms to start sharing music. But it was really MySpace was what made it so unique. And MySpace is probably where you start seeing the the effects of the negative effects of social media. Because up until then, social media was rather tame and timid. But with the more access you give to humans, the more weirder and messed up it got. 
And MySpace was always looked back to fondly as one of the the OGs and better than Facebook and all that, but it still faced a lot of the same issues, which we'll tackle on, on to later. Two years after uh, MySpace, 2005, you got Facebook. Okay. And then this is where everything, MySpace, what MySpace did was create a ripple effect of all the big, the big players that we're talking about now. Facebook was a way to, so people can post their profiles, their status, their updates, their description, music, video. And well, initially it was to date people, whether they're attractive or not. Mm-hmm. But after that, it shifted on into by Mark Zuckerberg on how to connect people on the campuses together. And later on became how do we connect people around the world together. When he got upset, Rooney Mara. Yeah, I mean, you watch social networking. It's a great movie. I mean, that covers everything. So uh, a good question, though, about MySpace. Mm-hmm. Was MySpace started off like Facebook, a university campus thing, or was it uh, not? No, so it was just a public. Uh, someone just made it public from the get-go. Okay. Uh, so the difference with MySpace and, and uh, Facebook is that MySpace was just a base in the U.S. It was just like, let's go a, a global audience right away. Okay. Uh, whereas Facebook was, was like, like within the university because Facebook was like how do I hook up with girls in unis well that was the idea Zuckerberg had in the beginning how do you get people to hook up with people in uni how do you when you get to uni connect with people mm-hmm. that was the idea of it and then they continued on the model when it took off in unis and then uh, and then they're like alright let's make this global yeah. afterwards whereas MySpace was just continuing off of Friendster continuing off of Six Degrees continuing off of Napster uh, yeah. all that stuff and they just went full full blast right away in the following year, 2005, you also had the professional social networking app, LinkedIn, was created. And LinkedIn was the, actually the first app that had premium services from the get-go. Matter of fact, with the LinkedIn as well. So LinkedIn was a way to connect people through social media, but professionals only, purely work-related stuff. Here you can post similar stuff and even job vacancies and whatnot and connect with business people around the world, whereas Facebook and MySpace and all that prior to that were just casual interesting i didn't think linkedin was that old exactly and linkedin three years later made profit before and that was record numbers for social media it was the first social media company that made profits within its first three years because it had a premium service so linkedin was the first successful financial model whereas facebook and all that that's where they relied on ads and whatnot linkedin didn't need ads they had premium services yeah yeah and they're jacked up like to the team exactly what also happened 2005 youtube yeah, yeah. And YouTube was created in 2005. Of course, everyone knows YouTube, but it was just as a way for people to upload videos and share videos. That was YouTube in its entirety. Of course, the first ever YouTube video was that awkward zoo thing where yeah. the guy was at the zoo. Wasn't wasn't the guy the the creator of YouTube when he uploaded his video at the zoo? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So YouTube was actually created by Jawad Karim, yeah. uh, Karim. Was it him? Sorry, yeah, Karim, yeah. And uh, Chad Hurley and Stephen Steve Chen. And uh, this was before they got bought out by Google. It was just a way to upload videos. After that, you got the creation in 2006, Twitter. Wow. Which was just uh, T-W-T-T-R and then became Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, and Twitter was created then uh, by Jack Dorsey. He was the founder. Guy who's been on the news a lot lately. Yeah, and and, uh, Twitter was just, you know, instead of sending SMSs with heavy medical bills... Let's just post updates on our moods with limited characters. 170 yeah. was the initial. I think it's now 250, 270. I, I honestly don't use Twitter much. But yeah, so uh, what Twitter um, what Twitter was was something as simple. Just had to do laundry. My day sucks. Very simple yeah, yeah. updates so the world can see. Concise. 
uh, quick Twitter chats. It's kind of funny how like then these social media companies will just start ripping each other off. Yeah. Like for example, like you had the tweet thing, and then you had on Facebook, it was like, what was it? What's on your mind or what's on my yeah. mind? A status, yeah. A status update. Yep. And then you had like later on, it was like, okay, then upload the video. Exactly. The exactly. Video. So what each? So why did it all come in succession? Was of course Facebook straightway took from MySpace and just enhanced it. I mean, we have to agree, Facebook just enhanced MySpace in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. You could post music videos, interact, da 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 da. And plus, the the friends list and whatnot. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But what all these came in succession was LinkedIn was the only one. Who I think stuck to its source, professional. There's no fun LinkedIn app, but the other ones like YouTube, YouTube became live TV, whatnot. Yeah. But I guess YouTube still stuck to its video sharing concept. But now they have YouTube Music, YouTube that. But they have also YouTube Shorts where like you post like tw- almost like TikTok reels. Yeah. Or- yeah but in, from 2005 to six, it was or seven or six. Yeah, it was just like these the major ones: Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. They all served a different purpose. And now there's YouTube Music, and now there's YouTube Music. But they were all like, so Facebook's like, I'm gonna post status. Twitter's like, I'm gonna keep it short. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm better than that. So alternatives. So they weren't competing with it. They were just like, let's give alternative. No one wants to talk. They just want to tweet, which is kind of true. Yeah, yeah. What people didn't like about Facebook was the whole loading of floating pictures and stuff. They're and, like, you and, know what? And people can rant. No one wants to see rants. I mean, if you see a paragraph on your Facebook page, no. you, you go buy it. Keep it concise, keep it keep it going. So 2007, what happened was YouTube made partners. What does that mean? People start making money off of YouTube, regular users. That happened 2007, where you can create your profile, monetize, YouTube gives you the ad revenue, and they give you money for more views you get. So that's when businesses start getting into the mold? Exactly. That's when YouTube started embracing ads, and that's when YouTube content creators became big. Before mm-hmm. YouTube, you post your video and then that's it. You get views. No one really cared about the money, the clout and all that. Well, 2007 was so essential because in 2007, YouTube involved the content creator. They're like, listen, if your video makes 1,000 views, you'll get this money. Yeah. If, you're, if you're, makes 100,000 views, you make this money. Mm-hmm. 1 million views, you make that money. Of course, I'm not going to go into details of how Google brought out YouTube because that's a whole different thing. But I'm just giving you the brief... Yeah, uh, yeah, of YouTube discussions. So that's not a business podcast. No, 2007 was when people started caring more about the views because money was involved, and this is big in my opinion with where the social media is now. That was on YouTube. On YouTube, 2007, okay. they made partners. That's what they called. They make uh, YouTube became a partnering site with content creators. Was that before Facebook became partners, or Facebook became partners first, then YouTube became? No, partners? but even Facebook, you wouldn't. They wouldn't monetize. No, no they wouldn't monetize the users until now, unless you're. F- Facebook doesn't monetize its users. If you get a million likes in your Facebook page, you don't get money. No, no. So Facebook sold out to ads, sure, but YouTube truly made content creators be able to make money off of social media, mm-hmm. and that was big. Mm-hmm. You could, social media stars were born out of, out of that. I mean, PewDiePie and all those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the ones who who, who took advantage of this a few years later because PewDiePie peaked in early 10s. Or like those movie critics on YouTube. Uh, Logan Paul, Jake Paul, all those guys now. Mm-mm. So this all started from that 2007 move on YouTube uh, where if record labels make enough money, uh, they get uh, monetized. Music artists can post stuff and the more views they get, the more money yeah, they yeah. get and whatnot. I mean, this this didn't end there. We had other kind of innovations in the late OOs. We had Tumblr, which is just blogging. People can go in and blog about their days and uh, and just put other stuff. You had stuff like Pinterest, where if you just post pictures, co- yeah, a collage make, yeah. of stuff. 
I mean, it was all different modes of communication. And it and it kind of, each one appealed to a different segment of society. Yeah, Tumblr was more, I think, also like the the reserved people who, more poetic. who write, The writers in, in making. Exactly. Well, Pinterest, Pinterest art, a, artists, art express students. yourself through pictures. And of course, in 2009, you had uh, Weibo, the yes. Chinese social media juggernaut. Okay, that's what I was going to say. It sounds so familiar. Yeah, Weibo is the Chinese one. Uh, 350 million users. So China created, uh, they merged Facebook and Twitter into one. Weibo. Weibo, which is purely Chinese because China didn't allow Facebook or Twitter. Or on any of these American uh, social media apps because yeah. they're like, it will corrupt the youth and all that. And it's funny how now that's being said in North America about those apps. Yeah, because of TikTok and... Uh, and whatnot. Yeah. Not even that, just like political reasons. But TikTok is a Chinese uh, exactly. social media platform. But, but the Chinese in Weibo, they didn't want the Chinese government. They didn't want... They wanted a influenced. way to control what's and being And I'll shown. explain why later on, because of examples in the early OOs, mid OOs, and I'll explain why they probably thought that. Uh, in theory, it makes sense, but you should never censor or control your population. But that's a different discussion for a different day. 2010, Instagram. I was going to ask, when was Instagram? Instagram made? was 2010. Upload videos. Uh, pictures. And post pictures. First it was pictures, then it was videos. videos. And uh, he started introducing uh, the long, I mean, if it was only 10 second videos and whatnot, it was super limited. But Instagram was purely for, you can post a picture, a quick description, nothing more, nothing less. A caption, a picture. That's it. It was, uh, again, they took the models of Facebook, Twitter and whatnot, and they're like, let's keep it And simple. Snapchat. Uh, Snapchat came after. Yeah, but then after that, that's when, it, then after Snapchat blew up, uh, that's that, when they added the 10 second story. Uh, yeah, yeah that, that's later on, but before mm-hmm. that, yeah. So in 2010, it was Instagram or Instagram. I think they probably took from Pinterest and all that. Like people are really into posting pictures. Uh, how do we monitor? And people like posting selfies. This even are you hot or not concept where you put pictures of yourselves and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And this is where personalities start taking control where you, you don't have to write, you just post a picture. And you can create this whole character out of this picture. But we'll get into that later as well. 2011, Snapchat was created. And Snapchat had a peekaboo alternative to Instagram. You post 24 hours later, no one can see your your pictures anymore. Instantly gone. Mm -hmm. Now, this was beautiful for the young people who wanted to post pictures and know that it won't be held against them. Because by then, everyone knew whatever you post in the internet stays in the internet. So Snapchat gave you that solution. It's scary because if things disappear in 24 hours, then there's no, there's no accountability, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's what happened in 2011. Of course, Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat in the upcoming years would compete with, uh, with each other on almost ripping off each other's platforms. I mean, Facebook bought Instagram in the end and yeah, the yeah. Metaverse, Meta. but, that's, uh, but that's just its origin. And of course, following that in 2013, we had Vine, everyone's favorite. Vine was pretty much TikTok before TikTok. Short yeah. videos, usually tell a story, fun, simple, I easy. think that's how the Logan Brothers broke out, through Vine. Exactly. Vine came in 2013. So the big players came in the middle O's, but the long-lasting effects are in the 10s. But I'm telling you, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the 20s? But we'll get back into it. So Vine happened in the 2013, and of course in 2019, TikTok, the Chinese... Yeah. Uh, which I think there. they kind of uh, rev- they vamped up Vine exactly so TikTok is kind of the last major social media app that was created uh, TikTok uh, of course kind of Vine-ish as well you can post stories and you're seeing all the trends everything that's going on 
blowing up and, and different different models. So that was quickly a snapshot of how all these social media companies uh, came about mm-hmm. and uh, how they've developed and how they've just kind of evolutionized each other. And you can see this, and you can see the story of how each one kind of developed and added on to each other. So it started off as a six degrees of separation for people to connect with family and friends has quickly turned into 15 second shorts or acted out shorts for entertainment value. Mm-hmm. And the reason why stuff like TikTok and Vine all existed was because had YouTube not made partner in 2007, there was no business or industry for that stuff. Before people drew it just for attention, but it became attention and monetization. Yeah. Now, now we're going to go back again in time and address the main topic. So my main topic was, I mean, there's a lot of benefits of social media, and I could keep going on about how it connects the world together. You can talk to family, loved ones, long-distance relationships, friendships, share music, meet communities you'd never meet. If you're lonely, you can meet someone who's like you across the world who has your similar views, uh, thoughts, uh, so injustices can be shared, news. But I want to tackle where I'm seeing the trend right now and how it radicalizes people. Okay. And how it may turn people into extremism. And I look, extremism doesn't necessarily mean a bad word. Extremism 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 can be just a you're extremist in good ways. I don't find extremism itself as a bad word because you could be extremely passionate about something and it could be a good social cause. So some of the people I'm gonna be mentioning or the groups I'm gonna mention, it's not an attack on them, but just to explain how they got extreme from it too. So I just want to make that clear so we don't get too political about it. I just want to go through the history of it. So we're going to go on MySpace, everyone's favorite that I remember fondly. MySpace was a hub for neo-Nazis. Was it? It, it was huge for the neo-Nazi scene. Uh, to the point where uh, a guy would get recruited uh, in the neo-Nazi group and actually killed a girl in 2005 uh, because of his radicalization through MySpace. I'm not going to give these people clout or name for these guys. Okay. But you can research it if you'd like. Did he but kill her based on her skin color? On her skin color and, and pretty much due to... Neo-Nazi affiliation. Yeah. So MySpace started this whole trend where someone's profile, obvious Nazi, neo-Nazi, people connect, they message each other, they plan things out, and boom, they mm-hmm, go. Mm-hmm. And the reason why, I mean, these extremists existed already, but when you found a community that you can kind of cuddle with, and just expand your ideas. When you're shown that you're not alone, it gives you this power in numbers. And MySpace with those neo-Nazi groups started creating that concept. You also had in the middle O's to later O's on Facebook, Hezbollah, when they were uh, going in it with Israel at the time, recruited so many people through Facebook groups. They would create a Facebook group and Hezbollah ran its own Facebook group and, and they would just add people, promote their preach, promote the cause, promote really? the fight. You literally had... Al-Qaeda did the same on Facebook. And even if they would get canceled or deleted because of hate speech and whatnot, you already have 50,000 outreach. Those 50,000 people will follow you other places. So even if you get deleted, they'll be like, where can I find this group now? All you have to do is Google. Tor browser. Exactly. And new quick groups would come out. Facebook would be, now it's better apparently, where 99% of these hate groups get deleted right away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But back then it was slow. When you would report, they'd have to investigate and see. By then, Al-Qaeda would do 50,000 people, recruits. Oh, Watson's back. Uh, 50,000 recruits, stop. 50,000 again, stop. 50,000 keep creating. Al-Qaeda did the same. So that way, every time you get another, until you get canceled, you've already amassed another number, and yeah. then you come up in a different form. And, and what does that do? What does that do? So if someone who's, let's say, 
for the cause. Let's not say Hezbollah. And then sees Hezbollah posting stuff and isn't really extremist or terrorist. But then Hezbollah start making sense because they see those Facebook messages, which is perfectly crafted for media terms. Like I'm sure Hezbollah dropped words that were fighting for justice. That that and then, I mean put some rash weird rationalization and you boom, you just turn someone extreme. Yeah, yeah. Just disenfranchised. A, yeah, a, a young kid can easily be influenced because Facebook was open to all. Like, like what ISIS did with the when they were radicalizing people in like yeah. Europe or yeah. But whatever. Hezbollah was uh, were kind of like the first ones to kind of use that strategy. So it was pretty innovative by them and Al Qaeda, of course. You also had uh, Arab Spring. If it wasn't for social media in the tens, yeah, Twitter was a big yeah component. There would be no Arab revolutions, and that's a good side of extremism: toppling down regimes that were injustice. So this is where I'm going to say where the extremism isn't necessarily bad. But Twitter and hashtag Arab Spring, you click on it, you see everything that's going on in the world, and and that's how everyone collapsed. And they also had the wires at the bottom that were exposed. But that's when you you mentioned how news media's can no longer influence the narrative. Exactly. Twitter, social media, they told you what happened. And that caused... From the front lines. And 30-plus years regimes that could never be dreamt of being taken down were taken down in an instance because of social media and how fast the news spread and how quick these uh, terms spread as well. And that's why I think China created Weibo, by the way, because when they saw that, they probably took it like, man, Hezbollah can recruit people. And these people can go down. We need to create an app where we control the narrative. Because if the Chinese population see an American page that's anti-China, they might revolt against us. They need to control the narrative. Exactly. So that's why I think they created That's absolutely not why I think that's why they created that app, to control that stuff. Uh, we'll go back real quick on the Cambridge Analytical, Analytica, the ones we mentioned in the beginning. So it was created in 2013, uh, the company. The company... Quick question, though, before we go into that. Um, so we were talking about radicalization, right? Yeah. Now, one... So 4chan comes up a lot when it comes to radicalization, right? Especially yeah. with neo-Nazis. And there's this whole debate well, how a user in 4chan would troll someone and then it would blow up into like a conspiracy theory, right? Yeah. Like, what's his name? That, that Pep the Frog? Yep. That, that meme mm -hmm. and how it became now like a symbol for fascists. Yeah. Or QAnon was built through 4chan. 4chan. Because these guys were kicked out of Facebook. Yeah. And, or, and, yeah. Then, and then when 4chan started kicking it out, they went into 8chan. And then it became like this whole, oh, I am Q and all that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because 4chan also plays a big part of it. Because I think also it's not only right wing people who use 4chan to co-opt. I think also... Some Islamic extremism, yeah. yeah, have used. And the problem is with these, so these major apps introduce people and then they can find them in 4chan afterwards. Mm -hmm. So when you have a kid who sees... And they're uh, all edgelords who go to 4chan. They see a neo-Nazi page on Facebook that's now mm -hmm. taken down. All he has to do is Google or search uh, the dark web and be like, where, where can I find this group? And it will lead you through a rabbit hole which eventually takes you to... Yeah, it's like how when you take a video off of YouTube, you don't really take it up because someone else will share it somewhere else. Exactly. You just have to Google it. And like they say, whatever's posted on the internet never dies, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was the uh, concern. So after that, we'll go into the analytica real quick. And the reason why it's such an interesting story is that in 2013, company comes in, uh, you download an app, takes your personal info without your consent. And then uh, apparently they said that helped influence people bought that data to influence the Brexit referendum. Okay, yeah. And they're yeah. saying that it was that was the rumor, but the first time it was used was Ted Cruz paid four point nine million to get that info, 
which later on Donald Trump did to get that info. And what did that do? It started making micro messaging promotions directed to people based on their uh, answers, questionnaires that they answered that they didn't think was being monitored or sold off to. Okay. So that's why it was a big deal. So Facebook was with Cambridge Analytica. So they the ads used on Facebook for a certain person was dedicated to that person. The reason why that person related to it was because Cambridge Analytica sold that info to whoever wanted to buy it. So does Cambridge Analytica, like, does it take your uh, information and provide you the ads based on what you like? Exactly. But what po- political people did is... They, they bought did. the information. They're like, okay, so this person clearly has this leaning. I'm going I'm prom- to start promoting to this person. And each one had his own message. It was cutting edge stuff. The, the way they did that. Uh-huh. So yeah. it was literally like each one can feel like he's being talked to. Or he or her, sorry. Uh, so you're just giving a confirmation bias at that point. Exactly. Absolutely. So that's why it was, in, in my opinion, a big idea of the extremism. Because so it's a new way, new way of recruiting. Yeah. It amped up someone's view. Someone would be like, damn, this guy really does believe me. I will extremely follow him. And it creates a kind of this godlike figure in front of, in front of them. Uh, apart from that, you also had a lot of other extremist groups that were blown up during the social media tweets. Uh, you had BLM. Mm-hmm. Uh, social, you just had to write Black Lives Matter, hashtag Black Lives Matter. People protest the streets because they managed to connect. Someone can post on their Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's everywhere. It helps you to rally up for protests. Exactly. And if back in the day, you wouldn't know unless you saw the poster where to meet someone. Now, you literally just turn on your, your phone, like the hashtag, and whatever city you're in, Someone be like, hey, we're doing this protest now. We're going to go destroy this shit. Mm-hmm. So that was what was big with, with those guys was that they saw injustice, which spread around, created anger and hatred. And they're like, how do I take out this anger and hatred? And all it takes is one person to be like, I'm going to go to this place tomorrow and destroy this building to prove my point or to attack the cops to prove my point. And it gained traction. And of course, you want to respond to whatever injustice. So let's attack the police. Let's show them that we're united. Strength in numbers. Mm-hmm. You also have Antifa which is an anti-fascist group, which is apparently fascist. You had the Proud Boys, Oathbreakers. Those groups have all came from, I mean, look at the storming of... The January 6th, yeah. Yeah, of the the Capitol riots. I mean, that was all because of social media. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Trump's tweets, the yeah, one that got him banned. His tweet, which is social media, was spread across the world. Someone creates a Facebook page. Facebook page takes you down. Find me here, 4chan. 4chan goes down, find me on Twitter. Twitter goes down, find me here. You could just easily like continue looking up and they actually attacked, I mean, the yeah, capital. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, so this was kind of how it all happens. But then people will come and say, especially social media companies will be like, these are people. It's not our fault. They put the hashtags. They follow they this. We just give you the platform, right? Uh, we know Facebook were a douchebag. So Facebook can't use that argument anymore because of Cambridge Analytica stuff. So that's when Cambridge got, exp- uh, Facebook got exposed that they actually coerced people and turned them into extremists because of the data they sold. The ripple effect of selling data was because of, well, what well, was because of that. So that's was the repercussions of it. So that's why everyone's attacking Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook and talking about how Facebook has uh, harbored, whether it's left wing agenda, but then some, but then he's, they sold stuff to Trump, which was a right wing agenda. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they don't care whoever pays the most. So uh, Facebook is known by everyone now as a place where fake news is. Uh, Twitter has kind of become that up a bigger, uh, Twitter's opinionated but Facebook they finally found concrete fact but now it's hated by the right Twitter because they banned Trump, Trump. and all that yeah and which we'll get into later on uh, because 
this is their way of curbing because of the Facebook aftermath. They will, they'll want to go to court and be like, you incited this. But you see, but now I don't know, I didn't know much about that topic, but I did like read um, about something called surveillance capitalism, mm-hmm. right? And it's this idea that like, so your personal, the, so your personal data is being sold. So it's being sold to companies so they could be able to advertise to you, right? And that's the price you pay for using a free social media platform because you're technically not paying for Facebook. No, you're paying for Instagram. No, you're paying for Twitter. So it's like, so what is the commodity that you're going to have to sell? Your personal data. Exactly. And that's this idea of surveillance capitalism. And there was a very good, it off. there's a very good book called The Age of Surveillance, I think. Uh, I read a bit of it. I didn't finish it. But it's interesting that you brought this up because um, this is what it is. It's like, like it's, for example, the idea where how many times you and I would talk about like a, a product and then the next thing we know, it's, it's all there. flooded on our Instagram. They're like, yo, like literally we'd be talking about, I don't know. Um, so this is where I'm going to get into later on where, so we just addressed how Facebook can be re- regarded and how it, and Twitter and all that, and how the way they promote extremism and radicalization is just because you create a group, the group listens to each other's views, you empower that view. And man, you create I'm a vacu- an echo chamber. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add more. Uh, passionate music fans yeah it's an echo chamber you for could sure. love you could love a music genre or a band but you turn to a diehard extremist when you find a hundred thousand people are in the same group that like you and they attack anyone that doesn't agree with your music taste <laughs> something as similar as that by the way something as minor as that i mean look at the outrage when people don't like movies anymore yeah, yeah. i mean i mean but but i'm gonna say this is an individual issue but unfortunately social media brought this out of them mm-hmm. tribalism uh, tribalism it, it made because we can connect to someone across the world it's made it more uh, easy to feel like you belong. And nothing's worse than when humans get into this tribalistic mentality. Whether this it's elitist sports, mentality. For patriotism. Sure. Ultras almost. Yeah, patriotism, whether it's uh, uh, sports fanatics and, on, and whatnot. But what I want to address, which is the big concern, it's something that you just mentioned. And Instagram and YouTube are the biggest culprits of them. It's their algorithm. Mm-hmm. And uh, my issue with that is that, to quick uh, explanation of how those algorithms work, is that uh, the YouTube algorithm works by relevance according to, this is YouTube saying this, relevance, engagement, and quality. Relevance, engagement, and quality. This is what their algorithm goes based on. So they find the right video f- uh, to keep you engaged. Okay. So what does that do? I'll give you an example. Social media posts a video of someone like Ben Shapiro. Let's say, or, or no, let's uh, Jordan Peterson, because his is quite relevant as well. Jordan Peterson, yeah? I tend to avoid Jordan Peterson because I don't agree with his views, and he he gets me ticked off with his views. Because he sounds like Kermit? Yeah, so <laughs> I know of him. I used to watch videos of him in the early 10s. I was in that rabbit hole of watching debates with Christopher Hitchens and whatnot and all that stuff, right? But Jordan Peterson someone I avoid. I go on my Instagram, I see a video of him. I go on my Twitter, I see a t- tweet of him. I'm not following these pages. I go on Facebook, someone posts a meme or a quote of him. Or or when you look at a video and then you flick down on Facebook, then you find like somehow you're flicking down from movie clips. Into a Jordan Peterson video. Yes. Okay. And now I'm forced to hear him. Okay. Uh, I go on YouTube uh, to check him out. Let me check out a Jordan Peterson video. He says something you kind of agree with. I watch it an hour in. Okay. This guy, fucking wacky dude. Bleep it out so we can get more viewers. (laughs) Uh, yeah, um, 90% of the things he said were done, but he had one topic that interested me. Cool. I either continue YouTubing his views on that, and I start admiring the dude and respecting him. And then slowly, slowly, he starts to make sense. Okay. 
I watched that one video, I'm done with him. YouTube algorithm. Let's keep him something relevant and engaged so he can enjoy it. What's the second highest rated Jordan Peterson video he hasn't seen yet? Let's the one where that, he does like the let's, let's put that on his recommended videos because you see, you've seen one. Yeah, he's there again. I'm having lunch. Sure, let's let's watch. Yeah, I was entertained the first time. After that, someone similar to Jordan Peterson. Let's say uh, anyone from Bitbart, anyone from Shapiro, Shapiro, Daily Wire, any any of those guys. I go on that. I watch their videos. And suddenly I'm starting to relate to these guys. I mean, look, this isn't an attack to people who like them. I'm just saying I, I'm not a fan of these guys. But this is how someone, every day, you see that news. And then you, you know what? You start going out of your way to research these guys. And it's just a rabbit hole, man. And trust me, when you're on the internet, you keep researching, researching. And you can disagree with 80% of the topics. But if one of their topics click, that's it. I'm with this guy. And why do I talk about these guys? Because these guys have extremist supporters why am i using them as an example because peterson you'll have people who would like vouch and protest for him shapiro you'd have people who would like swear by him uh alex jones is a perfect example let's go with alex jones alex jones was a social media personality before it was a social media ahead of his time had Infowars. i mean since the early o's uncovers conspiracy theories uh reptilian presidents and Let's and let's give something. Let's talk about you and I. We used to watch some of his shit. I used to watch Alex Jones. I was actually quite entertained by him. I used to watch him. I like the Bohemian Grove was when I was a young, impressionable teen. Exactly, same. I believed him. I'm like, mm-hmm. this guy is onto something. But the older I got, the Illuminati and whatnot, and I fell for all of it when I was younger. And I would watch his clips, his YouTube, all that stuff. And then he started saying about the Sandy Hook murders being crisis actors, and he got sued to oblivion because he lied. <laughs> uh, it was a nasty case, but. Alex Jones is a is, good example of this for and sure. Uh, how and 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 why is he? Why did he double down on that? First of all, I actually liked him up until he became too wacky, uh, but I had the awareness to stop. What if someone didn't and fell into his wackiness? Especially if someone watched him when they were even younger, when they were mm-hmm, thirteen. Mm-hmm. Boom, radicalized. You know, man. And he'll think be- everyone's sorry. He'll think everyone's uh, a crisis actor. Everything's fake. Everything's a false flag. Everything's this. He'll question every single thing, which isn't necessarily wrong but the way they do it is so extreme it's like the water uh, turns frogs gay like some weird theories that come out right the sulfate in the water turns frogs gay according to him yeah fluoride yeah and just becomes weird uh so but like to tell you to go about this and to see how this rabbit hole starts now for instance uh you remember now here we're going to speak from an Arab perspective on how we how i lent into alex jones at some point and there's like, for example, you go to, you watch something like The Arrivals, which was big in the Middle East. And I remember, and I'm pretty sure a lot of Middle Eastern fans will know, will, or would have heard of The Arrival. And then in The Arrival, of course, you're getting it through Facebook or whatever. And then you get to see, oh, Alex Jones is in it. You know, they quote him. Then you're like, oh shit, who's this dude? You want to go listen to him? And then you listen to him. And then he will bring up, I don't know who. And then next yeah. thing you know, uh, Queen Elizabeth is a reptile. Exactly. And... And I'll, I'll add to it. So this is going to be a kind of a tangent, but I'll explain. I'm going to bring it on to one point and why I think this, this decision was catastrophic as much as it was good. So why did Alex Jones double down on this? Because whether you like him or not, you're going to watch it. It's, it's bad entertainment. So he gets a million views, whatnot, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, you get uh, someone like uh, Milos. Remember him? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the, the conservative guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you always mention this, how Russell Brand 
has now went in COVID conspiracy nut and yeah. has gotten more views out of it. He's grifting to the right wing. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and why is that? Because in 2007, YouTube made partners. Okay. Yeah, so now these guys make money by more views. So he, Alec, these guys, like, what got me most views? The extreme, wacky, radical stuff I say. Audience clapping. That's what I get the views on. So let me double down on this because, I mean, let's be frank. If you can make a million dollars being a character, and all they, I mean, all they are is being characters, caricatures, right? Exactly. You can see, like, okay, you could be doing a topic about X, Y, and Z, and they get you 60K, 60K, 60K. And then you do one about, it's COVID, a pandemic, and then it jumps to a million. Yeah. And then, then you're like, oh, wait one second. This jumped to a million. Yeah. Now, being an entrepreneur mindset, you're like, what makes bread? That topic. But what a lot of viewers aren't seeing, I mean, because it's so unregulated, you have 10, 13, 14, 15 year olds, 16, early 20s watching this stuff. And they think this guy is serious. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Maybe they're just doing it purely for. Because even Alex Jones came out, I was like, I didn't mean that they were actors. Yeah, yeah. He, like he kind of implied that he did it for the cloud, for the views. He in, in his court cases, right? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of an uh, like opened my eyes on it. And here's another more relevant example. But I think you want to talk about this later on. Was someone like Andrew Tate, right? I try my. I have no idea who he is, but social media has made me know who he is, and I'm so upset about that. Look, to get on the Andrew Tate thing, and this is something uh, I want to bring in because I want I wanted to do an episode on the manosphere, mm-hmm. and the influence because this is the biggest example of youtube algorithms not even youtube algorithms but instagram algorithms you watch one of you watch a clip on like some millionaire page and they quote andrew tate and the next thing you know you're just getting andrew tate andrew tate that's facebook memes and all that stuff yeah like i said i wanted to do an episode but to be honest and to be fair aim researching this i got the biggest migraine because it's so it, it's mind-numbing to like like I and the thing is I do not want to give feed into him anymore. Uh, he blew up, good. good. He, now he's banned on everything, even better. But even if he's banned, he made his millions. He, he's made his millions. And not just that, everyone knows of him. I do not want to give him any more clout, even though I'm pretty sure we won't really make or break him at this point. For but sure. I do not want to talk to about him anymore. But the problem is, like we said, the incel people, the I mean, you have the red you- the red pillars or the black pillars, the doomers, incel doomers. All these people are radicalized through pipelines on YouTube. They watch some guy who hates on women because they can date. And then one guy is like, you know what else? It's those feminist women. They're the reasons why you can't date. And then it's those liberals who allow feminists. And next thing you know, you're a ticky torching. You, uh, you, you twist the truth to accommodate your story. So like, the, like, like, like you said, if someone tweets that, listen, feminists are ruining man's chance to get laid because... Women are feared of alpha men, da 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 da, yada yada, all that stuff. That one guy who's probably just not a nice guy, or maybe he's just misunderstood. Let's just say he's a misunderstood. He'll be like, you know, maybe it's not me, it's them. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said with Facebook, strength in numbers, tribalism. You go find like-minded people. Hundred thousand people will be like, dude, it's definitely them. It's not us. It's all them. And then you create hate and then hate groups. And let's. I'm gonna give you another example. Uh, I see people who get super, super angry at Milos, the Shapiros, uh, who are leftists, to be frank. And it's because you have now you have people criticizing those people on YouTube, giving you their opinion, and you're no longer formating your, form, uh, making your own opinion. Because social media now, it's like reading the news. The news used to give you a scare. 
on so, so we said social media was unbiased news not anymore social media is biased news as well you have whether you're left or right you I find th- your ne- your niche and you stick you to it you found one one so I, you and I don't like Alex Jones you find mm-hmm. that one YouTube page who doesn't like Alex Jones and because he gets views talking about Alex Jones because Alex Jones gives him clout he'll daily make fun of him weekly monthly like the young turks and all those guys those guys are extremists who aren't that intelligent sometimes as well they and they make some ludicrous Uh, statements too, right? So it's, it's on both ends, both spectrums of the discussion where some of the stuff they say is right, some of it's wrong, but then you have an average Joe who every day sees this and now they hate Alex Jones and they have never met him. They hate uh, uh, this person and they haven't known. They hate this girl, social media influencer, and they never even met her because you have other people talking about her all the time. Like Gamergate. And, exactly. And then that person, like you said, you can watch a social media influencer who Uh, post about this video game. Guess six, 10K views. And you like his views on video games. Mm-hmm. One day he spoke about this person. That person got him a million views. He continues, but you're like, man, I like his talks about video games. So if he's talking about this person this way. Let's hear this point of view as well. And I already appreciate his views on other stuff. He must be, and I like the way he does research. He or she does research. Or they do research. I must agree with their views. And people don't realize that's what happens too. So, For example, I can be watching a guy or a girl or uh, third, you know, person discuss uh, views on e- politics or economics and very informative. And then one day they do an, uh, a YouTube clip reacting or viewing someone and makes fun of them. And, this, and that also creates hate. So Alex Jones, I don't like him, not just because he's wacky and he's dumb, but because other social media people... Who you... Who you like said that you made me hate him even more mm-hmm. and hate is a powerful world and like word and that makes me an extremist to a certain towards someone who i've never even met right and Alex jones is an extreme example he shouldn't be liked sure but i'm talking about other people like andrew tate i personally think he did it for clout i don't hate him he's just a a, a walking product to make millions mm-hmm. that's how i view him but people genuinely hate this dude and will give him death threats no one deserves that kind of death well when you frank. kind of promote rape for sure for sure but all of a sudden i'm hating someone i've never met and i've never even watched his videos i've never seen a full andrew tate video and i don't like the guy and that's there's something wrong with that so i have a question to relate back to the whole youtube thing so how do youtube's algorithm actually work now they say it depends on exposure and quality and blah 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 but um is there actually like a dark way of them doing it or is it just them feed is no, it them selling it to there is other ways where you can pay for ads so it has to show up or you pay to be on top of the page and all that just like google you know google the top search stuff are whoever pays the most mm-hmm. so it's just so, pe- yeah so in google it's not uh whatever is the most informative it's whoever paid the most to be on top of the page you literally pay for google space google ads youtube ads you pay to be the number one on the thumbnails and all that stuff uh when you go on online delivery apps you pay to be on that mm-hmm first page for when you look for an item it's not because it's the most search it's whoever paid the most so if you made a million views on your last videos on a dumb topic let me pay youtube next time with the money i made so i could always be on people's mind so it's a combination of algorithm is whoever pays the most and also doubling down on the trend yeah so this is just a quick snapshot i mean you also have isis recruiting people on social media and all that and my big question is how do we regulate how do we stop all this how do we how do we prevent all this We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. To the crusade for freedom. 
made possible the World Freedom Bell, symbol of hope and freedom to the communist-dominated peoples of Eastern Europe, and built this powerful 135,000-watt radio Free Europe transmitter in Western Germany. The crusade for freedom is your chance and mine to fight communism. Join now by sending your contributions to General Clay, Crusade for Freedom, Empire State Building, New York City. And to be honest, I think it can't be stopped. I think no matter what those companies do, the damage is done. And the only hope you can do now is teach your kids and your peers not to fall for it because it's there. I feel like it's like a wildfire. It caught on a tree and there's no, there's no putting it down. It's like, that's it. Uh, how do you feel about all that? Well, like I said, for this is surveillance capitalism, right? At the end of the day, these companies, Facebook, um, even Amazon to an extent, because I think also Amazon was involved, if I'm not mistaken, with Cambridge Analytica, um, buying data from harvesting data and then targeting specific ads to you. Exactly, yeah. Um, what? Thank you, Watson. And But it, at the end of the day, it is what it is. It is uh, this is capitalism for you, bro. This, like, this is a form of late-stage capitalism at this point. It's, these companies are going to profit off your data and they're going to sell it to whoever's the highest bidder. Who wants to buy for it could be a Trump, it could be Ted Cruz, it could be even like, I don't know, Home Center. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Whoever's going to w- spend money to buy your data so they could advertise to you because you're nothing more than just a number, a data, a commodity, it's going to be there. And that's the problem of unchecked capitalism. These guys are going to say, well, we are making, how do we make money? Do you guys want this to be free? So do you think Weibo is a good app? See, but that's the problem now, because then you kind of go into this where China's motives are like, oh, we are protecting, but are you protecting or are you subverting? Are they doing ads that are anti-other countries? Exactly. Or are you subverting a narrative? Even though, even like, like sometimes people send me stuff on uh, Instagram or something. It'd be like a real on, and this is no way in defense of North Korea, but there would be like some wacky thing that's happening in North Korea. And I'm like, how much of this is actually true though? Or how much is it like just propaganda against the country? how much have you seen when someone posts a fake story about something that happened in the country where they ate this thing or they do this thing? And then I actually go on Google and I'm like, I haven't seen any news article on it. Social media spreads lies uh, and then makes you hate a country just because of a fake meme like that's the power of a meme you could literally a meme as a as someone can post as if it's serious on social media and if people don't google to see if it's correct that's it like the I whole eating a bat thing and uh, then how many like here how many people have come out like with this very anti-asian sentiment that like oh look they eat bats and look what and the whole world fell into an abyss because of it exactly exactly it's yeah. like but where's your proof bro i saw it someone posted a video on facebook someone posted this on facebook it's like someone posted this meme it's like yeah okay and now but- you have deep fake videos and alternate but exactly all it takes is someone to post a, a video and then you have like moms being so radicalized into conspiracy theories exactly or you have like uh i mean let's let's add this as well like even biden will come and be like russia is interfering in the elections da 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 and then they they come up with some bs video of something to show the how they're saying how russia has now used social media game to influence voter trends right yeah and now you're creating russia as an enemy for these social media apps and and whatnot but it was americans who paid cambridge analytica to use their data i mean and i'm sure russia is in this social media is the new warfare too i'm not surprised about that for sure and but how people are using social media now as a weapon to vilify countries and to create hate or to promote their own agenda like how many people how many time have you read about like this youtuber is actually 
paid by China to promote exactly uh, some and, propaganda. And, and what's the truth? What's not the truth? Hell, I don't know. And that's scary. I don't know if that's why I avoid watching these political people on social media and YouTube. Like I actively avoid it because I'm not sure what's their purpose anymore. Right? Maybe you could watch someone who reviews movies and music and whatnot. Sure. But when it comes to people giving me opinions on their political views, even someone like Joe Rogan, who I used to enjoy watching, I don't watch him anymore. Not just not because I don't agree. Like I still enjoy some of the stuff he says. Where is he coming from? I miss Joe Rogan when he was just talk about the MT, man. Yeah, exactly. So we're watching him now. He made fifty minutes. Like when he's starting to bring political friends, I'm like, what is the message here? I can no longer watch it for enjoyment. I have to be like, am I... What, is there an agenda? Is there an agenda? I like it when he brings a scientist to talk about science, sure, this and that. But when he brings like a political person to talk about like Jordan Peterson and talk about stuff, I'm like, what's the agenda here? And now that's how I view everything. And I hope people would do that, but they don't. And that's why I tend to avoid these uh, these videos as I've actively gone out of my way. I try to get off Instagram as much as I can because it's addictive in Facebook, but I find myself just on it. And then I see tweets that... and uh, I see Instagram posts that annoy me. Because of the posting videos that I say, you have pseudo uh, social media justice people who post things just for clout and it makes me angry. And I'm like, why am I angry? Why am I feeling this way? That's an extreme feeling. Mm-hmm. I see a injustice in the video and I'm not sure if it's real or not, but I'm angry. And I'm just realizing that social media has made me angry, man. <laughs> it really has. And I see like it makes me not like people because you'll have someone who gives food to poor people. And record it and like, hey, can you thank like, me on this? Like Mr. Beast, yeah. Yeah, and I'm watching this and I'm like, man, screw this guy. Because he's just using it for clout. Yeah. And then, see, that's a minor extremist behavior. But do you think that this tactic of them, how, for example, okay, like, let's take big data aside. And we said that this is uh, social media trying to make a buck off you, you know? Is it harmful? Yes. Is it careless? Absolutely. To sell your data to a to a to a third party that could easily sell it to a politician or like okay, say Ted Cruz is whatever and he does have some problematic views or Trump. But what if someone more serious comes out and like he has like a more darker motive and he's more like openly racist and like almost borderline teetering on a fascist dictator? What if he uses this information to start spreading? And and I, this is a hypothetical, and it. But I'm saying, what if? And we know that case. But then again, you also have this whole um, social media where you now kind of everything is almost a product to be liked. Your pictures are a product to be liked, and I'm also like, I'm not gonna say I'm above that. Who doesn't like a bit of clout, you know? But yeah, but at the end of the day, it's like, where do we go from there? Where are we going from there? Yeah, and this brings us to what effects does this have on the world? Because it's almost like America is heading into civil war because of social media. There is a divide, yes. And I think it's because of social media. I think if anyone points out why has the right gone really right and why has the left gone really left in terms of uh, views and political stuff and then you got the people on the center who hate both sides who hate both sides why is it so extreme and i 100% think it's social media i'm not gonna lie aim i maybe i'm kind of falling a victim to that too i've gone a you know, I you know what I watch on YouTube, and I watch a lot of leftist. Yeah, it, pla- it plants the seeds for this view because I, I remember you'd come to me and you talk about people really angrily, and yeah. you weren't like that before. And I'd be like, why is he getting so angry? And then I'd go and I'd get angry about stuff too. And I'm like, why are we getting angry about stuff that are? Because I think what partly upsets me because like I watch a lot of let's call let's call them bread tube content or leftist content on YouTube, a lot of essays, and I'd see something and it would bother me. I'm like, and I'll, and most of my things, like, for example, like I'll see something like Jordan Peterson coming out and saying something transphobic, you know, or um, saying something uh, like 
postmodern Marxist, which is like completely just a vomit of words that don't make sense. And like, and it upsets me because I'm like, because he's using these like biases and this misinformation, and a lot of people are going to listen to him, and it upsets me that there's going to spread gonna, hate that this is being spread out. Yeah, and I do. I know I have gotten to a point where it's you're either or, and it's and I'm becoming to realize that this is where I've gotten in my. And this is the world the world got you. You're either this or this. And I do think, it's always been the case, but I do think social media has, has played a factor. No, has made it either or, you're either this or this for many things. So now you're either left or right. That was always a debate in pol- political history since the wars, World War One and Two. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, you're either a New York Yankee or you're that. Mm-hmm. You're either a Barcelona fan or a Real Madrid fan. You're either a Cristiano Ronaldo fan or a Messi fan. You're either into, uh, you're either team, uh, team Shakira, Team PK. You know, it's like it's something as everything is a everything is either you either or this, and that's what social media has done. It's made you. There's no middle ground, and you're right. There isn't, but and it shouldn't be maybe necessarily for politics or civil rights and transphobia. You should be either you're with the good, you know, like you're anti-transphobic. You have to take an extreme because hate speech is extreme. (laughs) Yeah, but social media has literally made it for everything. Harry Potter fans, you're either Star Wars first move three movies or last three movies. You're either this director or this director. So that's where I think social media has messed people up because tribalism and this, there's literally Facebook pages that are so into one movie that criticizes everything else and you see that every day and it just becomes that. So you are right with certain aspects, but I think social media has made everything either or. And, and it is a pipeline. Like a lot of people deny it, but I do see a pipeline, uh, especially like when you're anti-woke and then you want to find people who are anti-woke. And the next thing you know, you're listening to the guy who, the Proud Boys guy, the guy with yeah. the stash, um, Paul McGinnis? Mm-hmm. No, not Paul McGinnis. Gavin McGinnis, I think his name is. Uh, the guy with the stash. Mm. And it's like, okay, now you're listening to him and like, okay, I could relate to this group. Yeah, and, and by the end... Mama, I'm proud. You're proud of your boy. Yeah, and, and let's not forget, these groups existed. But how is a guy in the other side of the States going to know about them? Exactly. How's- how is someone in uh, the Middle East going to find a ISIS member in a region that he can connect to? Mm-hmm. How someone in China can find someone who's anti-establishment, find uh, someone across the world who can help him in, in a different country? How can you create this network of people? And it's because of social media. And that's where the extremism comes. So you're right. Uh, these groups existed. They've always neo-Nazis, terrorists, extreme leftists. But now know. each one, everyone has a platform. Yeah, everyone has a platform. And then I can connect to someone on the other side of the world and do it and and just go for it. And that's where social media uh, messes things up. And I honestly don't know. I feel like it's too late. But I'm curious to see what's the next 10 years going to be. Because I literally took... Do you think it should should be relegated? Regulated? Regulated? No, because whoever regulates it's going to do it for their purpose. I think it's it's kind of like the Wild West of the internet right now. We're kind of in a... We were in the Wild West era of the internet middle o's early tens and now we're trying to regulate it so in the wild west era of social media is done now it's into regulations and i think now it's being co-opted though by big business i think what's going to happen is we're going to have multiple platforms in the next 10 years and each platform is going to cater to just one view so no longer twitter is going to be for everyone twitter is going to be for a certain political view and demographic and then there's going to be one opposed to twitter which is the true thing that trump wants to do oh he started it yeah yeah that's going to be for one demographic where stuff like facebook and instagram might just be the default i think because instagram i think and facebook are going to be like default apps for everyone but I think we're going to have a lot of sub apps. I don't think anyone's using Facebook anymore from the new generation. But they're metaverse. It's, so a, it's a boomer. WhatsApp, Insta, you're good, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Facebook is fine. I think what we're going to see in the next 10 years is sub apps that cater for 
demographics and views and whatnot. And whether you're right wing, you can follow this app. If you're left wing, follow this app. If you're transphobic, follow that app. If you're pro trans, follow that app. I see that being the trend of social media in the next 10 years. So everyone's pretty much in an echo chamber. You're yep. just going to listen to what you want to hear. That's it. You get more and more extreme. Plan stuff in a weird way. Uh, the damage will be catastrophic because you're no longer seeing an, uh, an opposing view. You're just seeing your view. No one can influence you out of it anymore. That's scary. But I personally think that's the next trend of social media. So what do you think is the next trend? That's a good question. I think YouTube will be default too. Or maybe they're going to create... I think YouTube might get an alternative because they're now banning people as well. So I think YouTube might have an alternative. I think Twitter and YouTube are the most two apps that are going to have alternative... Because they're the, I think they're the most two used apps. Yeah, and they're the most ones who... One is complete video essays and one is simple tweets. They're the <laughs> extremes of communication. I don't know, to be honest. I really don't know where it's going. I think, like I said, I think if we don't tap this or we don't uh, somehow some find a way to control it. Now, I don't know how that will be. Unbiasedly control it. That's exactly. The um, then it's going to get out of control. It has already gotten out of control. It's become its own beast. But I think uh, that's the... Like I said, that's the problem of unchecked capitalism for you. What what will you do? What can you do? It's all privately owned businesses who want to, who have an agenda of making a top dollar no matter the cost. And that's the thing. Why do you think they were so hesitant to really to take away certain people? The so first. What if the social media apps were government controlled? It's not necessarily capitalist. I think it I, was. I don't think anymore. Like China's app isn't capitalist. China's a capitalist state. Yeah, yeah, but their app isn't. No, but the idea that like it's government is reasons. TikTok owned uh, oh Weibo. Weibo. I thought you were talking about TikTok. No, Weibo. So I'm saying like you're right. Initially, especially with the Cambridge Analytica, that's pure ca- capitalism stuff. But I'm saying if a government takes control of your app and regulates it and makes sure it's not my financial, they're going to make it for political reasons. Does it have to be either or? Probably. Is right. it either economical or political? political? And that's what the whole world comes down to at the end Absolutely. of the day? Absolutely. It's either politics or economics, my friend, unless you <laughs> live in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Amos' solution is uh, <laughs> go to the woods. If you can afford a house in the countryside, guys, <laughs> just go to the countryside. Don't use technology. A flip phone and you're good to go. Yeah, uni bomber <laughs> stuff. So yeah, that takes us through 25 years. Social media is younger than I am. That's crazy. But uh, yeah, so it's crazy to see in 25 years, look at the amount of stuff that happened. What's going to happen in the next 25? I mean, that's crazy. Uh, metaverse stuff, virtual reality where you can interact with people through... Uh, that's how you social media. I mean, the possibilities are limited, but I think that the next 10 years is going to be differentiation of apps. And I think eventually it's going to be you sit on your room and you can sit with someone else on the opposite side and interact with them. But through virtual reality. Yes. And that's social media's next. It, it's always been like everything's trying to go virtual now. Literally, you're, they're trying to create another reality where you get to be the control, like where no external sources affect you, but... It's what the, you could buy the matrix bro <laughs> yeah, that's a different discussion we'll have another guy come with and talk to us about that <laughs> simulation but yeah so that's uh that's my uh, two cents on and all this uh i think we covered it was more of an opinion rather than the history i think we got carried away with our opinions on stuff i think this was more of a debate episode uh, yeah yeah not even debate but it's, it's such a passionate topic that's why there's no I mean, there's the facts of how they're created, but how it's being used in this effects. We can all agree the effects of World War One, Two, yada, yada, all that. Social media is so subjective, its effects. But all I know is that as much as there was good, the bad is equal because there's still good, good, good things about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, despite re- the narrative of people thinking it's always evil, being awareness of police brutality, uh, injustices in Palestine injustices in different countries that you see that wouldn't be aired. I mean, it has a lot of its goods, but, um, isn't it cringe when kind of when 
political figures try to co-opt social media. Yeah, like Hillary Clinton. Uh, not even Hillary, like the IDF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how they try to make like memes about joining the army. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then you get, yeah. But so that's, uh, so there is a lot of good music. I mean, I've been exposed to a lot of great music, keeping up with bands I enjoy, mm-hmm. uh, movies, knowing stuff. Uh, so there is a lot of good stuff. Sports. Uh, I think it's honest intentions when six degrees and all that. That was the good that still remains today. Where it's about maybe we should just bring that back. Where it's just about you post your updates, your messages, you share your things. That's the that's what it was made for, right? Mm-hmm. And the more it gets older, I guess, as such life. When you're a kid, you're a lot more innocent, and the older that you get, the more corrupt you get. So it's just like social media in its infancy, purest intentions. But yeah, so that's it for me today, guys. <laughs> that's so defeated. Yeah, social media defeated me. But yeah, that's it, guys. <laughs> Uh, so that's it from my end. Uh, once again, guys, thank you for listening in. Yeah. Uh, I'm Eamon Maruf here. And I'm Kareem. And like always, uh, please follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify. Stitcher hasn't really accepted our thing yet because I don't know why, though. But yeah, Deezer, Apple, Amazon. We're now officially on Amazon. Wherever you listen to your podcast, please also give us a rating and a review. It does help us with the algorithms. Our social media, find us on Instagram, on Twitter at Convo underscore B-T-W-E. And follow us on Facebook, Conversation Before the World Ends. And yeah, and I think um, that's all I have to sign up on. So till next week, have a good night, guys. Take care.